and welcome to Your Property Podcast. Today is the 13th of October 2020. My name is Michelle Cairns, your host for today. And with us, we have got Sarah Walker. So Sarah has both a degree and a career history in housing and has worked as a council housing officer in the past before moving to a private company to work as a project manager for major new build projects. Sarah participated in the PIN Mastermind course in 2015 and left full-time job four years ago to focus on property. So a big warm welcome to you, Sarah. Thank you. Great. So your investment model is around supported living and supported housing. So um, just you've got your own portfolio as well. You've got some rent to rents and you know that, that this is a sector that you work in. It's seems to be a hot topic dare I say you know I'm sure it's been around forever but in terms of the property circles you know social media and we've got our feature um as the our feature article in uh, the next month's magazine in November as social housing so first of all could you just tell us what is the difference between supported living and supported housing and then a bit of background about how you got into this what led you into this investment model yes so um well i they're they're very similar but this is how i classify it it's not official really but supported housing is a temporary you know you need that for temporary you're recovering from drugs and alcohol abuse you're fleeing domestic violence you are homeless but you're not going to be homeless forever you're not going to be drugs and alcohol abuse forever you're going to if you're fleeing domestic violence you're going to get re-established you're going to get back into the mainstream you know it's um is supported for a temporary time, usually up to two years. Supported living is, um, I've got a daughter that's disabled, so that is permanent. She's not going to recover from that. She's always going to have a mind of a four-year-old, so she's never going to live independently, you know, not without a lot of support. So that living is conditions that people live with forever, which normally comes under a learning disability, you know, a mental health issue of some sort, um, you know, long-term chronic um, disability that um, is permanent, you know, whereas supported housing, you know, there's a there's a lot more need for supported housing because it's temporary, you know, people move on through it, they get better, they recover, you know, they move up back into normal private rented sector. So, yeah. Okay. So your background, so you were an employee, if you like, in the, uh, in the council for many years. And what made you shift from being on one side of supported living where you're working for the council to actually um, working? Yeah. Well, supported living is supported living didn't exist pre pre 2000 housing associations did supporting living as their core business model you know they looked after the vulnerable the disabled the um people that we see sleeping on the streets that was their business model but the complete lack of housing housing the lack of supply to the market has meant that a lot of housing associations have um, moved away from doing the most needed to doing what we call general needs. So general needs is working professionals or people, blue collar workers, people that, you know, are in and out of jobs or on temporary contracts or zero hours contracts, but people that are, that, you know, are mainstream, you know, so that left a big gap, that left the councils with this big gap at the bottom. 
you know of people that they needed to help legally needed to help and nowhere to house them so supported housing sprang out of this this need to house the most vulnerable in our society right that, okay that's really where it came from you know so so were you working with the council as these changes were happening um i moved to a housing association um a registered provider you know if uh, 10 years before that and was working in house building but because my daughter was ill I had my daughter and she then became ill you know and I needed to do something different to have flexibility around her um that's when I I moved but they did actually call it I think I said um to Jane in my article that they did call it turning the tanker around it was very clear that we are not going to work with the most vulnerable anymore and I didn't go into housing to to get a surplus and to make as much profit as we can and to pay our chief exec 300,000 a year do you know what I mean that wasn't what I joined housing for I joined it to help people so that led me to think led me to mastermind to start with and Simon Zucci's course and led me to think about you know what else can I do to still help and yet still work in the profession that I joined you know all those years before so you sort of casually say that led you to join Mastermind. <laughs> it's quite a, a big step for a lot of people, even just thinking about getting into property. It's not what the majority of people do if they're, you know, if they've always been an employee. Um, yeah, it's so- interesting you talk about property, isn't it? Everybody talks about property, but if you talk to a housing professional, we're about housing, we're about yeah. creating homes for people. If you speak to somebody on the council and you say you're a property professional, they roll their eyes and go, here we go again. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, we're very clear that we're about creating homes. Whereas if you said that, you know, I'm an investor and I want to work to help meet the council statutory duties around homelessness and housing, then they'll go, oh, this person knows what we do. They've got an idea that we're what we're about, you know. So even the language I noticed is is so different, you know, when you come from a, a sector. But I presume all sectors have their own have their own language. So, yeah, that's a little tip for people that. If they are talking to anybody that's what that that's how they position themselves you know as well, in, yeah. yeah it'd be great to sort of dig into that because I know it's a it's a topic that a lot of people are interested in at the moment and 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 looking into so but just before we get onto that what was the you know the shift between have you always been interested in investing in property have you had property well on the, the shift or? really came because um my daughter was ill and I needed to do something different I read Simon's book and I thought I'm gonna go and do this you know this sounds brilliant and I think I jumped I did they did a Sunday in those days because my husband's a postman so I couldn't do any other day and I jumped straight in and, and and went with it and um was a top performer on that you know and my my daughter had two brain surgeries that year so it was a bit of a manic year but I just really committed to it and and took on all the strategies that they teach you and applied them I went into the council and said this is what I'm going to do this is what I want to do this is what you know what's your need you know bearing in mind these are my ex-colleagues that I had worked with the year before so we were on first name terms you know so it did give me an in I should say Absolutely. So your focus for the year then, so the mastermind for people who don't know, it's 12 month program, you get mentors, coaches, and you know, the community there. But did you go into that with knowing exactly what your strategy was? Or was it a case? Not, of just no, not at, all, no, no, not at all. No, right. just knowing that at that time, I'd been looking at buying businesses, believe it or not, you know, right. buying contracting businesses, doing repairs. And I'd been looking at all sorts of things, really, you know, just to find something that would give us some revenue. 
give us an income because obviously I was a senior project manager by that time so I was the main breadwinner you know would, would replace my income and then allow me to do something else so I'd looked at all sorts of things before I ended up really um, on the mastermind and thinking about um, you know housing as an investment strategy yeah because I, I saw it as only for the big guys you know only the guys that have got loads of money like the housing associations and you know people like that I didn't think it was for the likes of me really so was, was that the first time you invested in property other than your own home or we had um we had a couple of buy to lets but like everybody you know we'd bought a family home and we'd moved on from that and we yeah. kept the home you know and I didn't my, my husband inherited one from his yeah. um from his family so we had a couple of you know sort of buy to lets that we inherited really you know accidental landlord type mm-hmm. stuff that we so already what, had yeah what was the first property that you got through mastermind was it a uh, rent to rent or the first uh, property I got through mastermind was um a 12 bed HMO that I bought wow. uns- unseen I don't recommend people doing that but <laughs> <Great>. um <laughs> it was one of those below market value deals where the landlord believe it or not didn't want the tenants to know he was selling it well how do you do that you know you can't go in any of the rooms you can't see any of the rooms you can't go in any of the tenants rooms you got to take the tenants on that come with it, you know, so it's not vacant. You didn't want them to know. And that took me the whole of Mastermind to secure that, mind. It took me nearly 12 months, you know. We met early in the Mastermind year and then dithering and dallying and deciding what to do. But, yeah, <coughs> and that was my, <coughs> excuse me, that was my wow. first major purchase that I bought, yeah. And do you still, still same tenants in there? Have you repurposed it? Yeah, same tenants pretty much. Some of my tenants are still there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So cash flowing from day one then? Yeah, cash flowing from day one. Yeah. I must admit that I've got a I've got a guy in there that um wasn't very well. And he really, he really needs to move out of there, but he's been there such a long time. And he ended up in hospital. So I went to visit him in hospital. I mean, what sort of landlord does that to start with? And um <laughs> I was like, Oh, you know, do you want me to get in touch with your family or can I contact anybody? Or no, 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 there's nobody, there's nobody, there's just you. And I thought at that point I thought, what a lot of responsibility. I'm only a landlord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. I suppose caring landlords do this sort of thing, don't they? So yeah, yeah. but he's our sort of caretaker you know help right. sort of yeah you know. like lead tenant takes care of things yeah just because it's quite a big you know 12 is quite a big house and you know there's a lot going on there so yeah, yeah I imagine on things and how is that you know just while we're on the topic how has that been during covid the 12 people or 14 <coughs> living together yeah well yeah they've, they've they've been all right we had a few um we had a few voids in our other in our other homes but they've they've actually been all right but yeah a lot of them have um lost lost their jobs you know out of work so on universal credit and stuff now but yeah right and but they all on universal credit before anyway no, or just no yeah. i would say they were blue collar right. workers really yeah lots okay. of shifts different shift patterns right wow yeah. it's uh, <coughs> it's quite a um yeah there's uh, <laughs> for some people who are just used to four or five beds that you know it can seem quite a big it, it, it is a big step it is a big yeah. step to do something like that yeah and especially as it's a big old victorian house you know it's got its issues with damp and repairs and stuff which is we're slowly getting there chipping yeah. away at it but I, know, I bought it well below market value so i was i was yeah. pleased with the Fair result enough. of that um okay so let's move on then to more about this the, the social um housing and support supported living um so 
as I understand it, for investors, the model at the moment is, let's say you buy or you lease or you, you acquire a property somehow. And let's say it might be three flats, five flats or a HMO. And then you hand it over to a supported living company who then take it on a long-term <coughs> lease. Uh, it might be five years, might be 10 years. And then it, you, you've got this guaranteed rent. So it's kind of like flipping the rent to rent model around where you are the investor and then you're bringing on a, a guaranteed rent from one of these charities. Is that, have I got that right? Yeah, yeah, that's, it is rent to rent really for the social sector. I, I would have said though that some, sums it up pretty much, yeah. The way people make a bit of money at it is they buy a, like a three bed semi and then you convert that to a five bed, you know, and then you're increasing your, your room, you know, your room occupancy and your room rates, you know, so you took, um, you took it from like a market rent at a three bed to a five bed HMO type of rent. Yeah, and it seems like a you know a good model all round, providing a, a much needed accommodation for the local community. Uh, are there any you know what are the challenges involved? <coughs> challenges involved, yeah. So this, the second house I did was um, that was the first house. Second house I did, right? I was into it by now. I went to see my council. What do you need? Care leave as accommodation. And like I said, I think well, I don't really you know I'm not a care person. You know I'm a housing. No, we've got great kids. We've, we've got a provider that's failing. You know, like we're losing track of our 16 and 17-year-olds. I don't know where we're going. You might have heard of, of county lines and, you know, the, the grooming of young girls getting into sex gangs in Telford and the Midlands and whoever else. These are kids that are coming out of care, basically. So right, okay. 16, they pretty much get dropped. They can't stay with their foster family and they're, and they're pretty much dropped on the street to get on with it on their own. This is... This is where, you know, they get picked up like a big beacon on their lives. People, the, the, the people that are looking for them can hone in on these vulnerable young adults. Mm -hmm. So I ended up sort of doing that. And then they said, oh, what, you know, what, what do they need? You know, and I said, oh, everything. They need everything. And I was like, gosh, what's that? Now, because I had to live in Bristol Hospital with my daughter for like nine months and she'd had these surgeries, my middle son had gone to boarding school and boarding school do this enrich they call it enrichment program <laughs> where they live in a house and have to do all the things in a house in the village and my son took to this he absolutely loved having to cook dinner and put a lay the table and budget and claim change their own sheets and use the washing machine and the antics they got up to are just amazing really they had such fun learning to look after a house, manage yeah. stuff on their own, manage on a budget, you know? So I said, would that help? And they said, oh yeah, can you, can you implement something like that? So I went away and found different providers that were prepared to work with me to, to right. put a program together. And they said, we can run it as a pilot, which means it doesn't have to go through council tendering. It doesn't have to be OJ awarded, which is all the rules that most councils have to apply to everything they, they buy. They said we can run it through this um, pilot for a while and see how we get on. So that's how I got into doing the, the care leavers accommodation, which was um, which is very rewarding. And we, you know, we still run that, you know, a few years later. Yeah. But yeah, and that um, was my first foray into supported housing, really. Yeah. 
And where do you think the demand is? You know, are they actively looking for uh, lots more? Is there, is there a massive shortage, or do you think they're you know they're getting enough stock in to meet the demand? Yeah, the the problem with the problem is there isn't enough housing. There isn't enough housing for people. Full stop. Is there? And if you're if you're squashed onto benefits, and you know the benefit, the LHA rate should be. Um, it's called the 30th percentile so you, there should be a third of properties in your area that you can rent but I know in my area in the southwest that, that's not that's not going to happen you know what I mean so more and more people are being squeezed into this sector you know because there just isn't in the general needs homes for them there isn't anywhere else for them to go so the supported sector has, has grown rapidly because these people need to get back into work they need to be earning you know enough money to privately rent and that means they need the help to get back into work you know and are they specifically looking for house shares where there's somebody either on site or somebody who can visit rather than lots of separate units like saying you know flats on their own so um it works either way it can work either way so mine tend to be rooms but it will work with flats and some supported housing providers you know, like to work um, on the one bed flat way because, you know, the idea is to try and move people out of supported accommodation into general needs rented, you know, as as soon as they can really, as soon as they're able to to move on, you know, as soon as they're able to do that. I suppose that's different from (laughs) the model where they need more uh, day-to-day support. Yeah, the the supported living, the supported living um, stuff tends to be tends to be purpose built tends to be grant funded and tends to be what we call commissioned so the like i work with my local authority about my care leavers they basically commissioned me to provide that service you know they've said to me can you can you go away and help us provide for our care leavers so um supported living tends to be you work with what's called commissioning officers um, there are people in the council that are assessing need, that are looking at what they need, that are looking at their, their plan going forward, assessing the amount of people that they've got that, that are currently supported by social services, you know? So, yeah, and then that tends to be purpose, purposely. No, private investors can get involved with that. You can get involved early with your commissioning teams and your registered providers. There's, there's absolutely no reason why you can't do that. Now, the council like that on a longer lease. You know, they like that on, a, on a, a longer lease as we can get it. When I was working for the council, we used to take 25-year leases. For wow. Because yeah. what we want is permanent housing right. for our yeah. disabled people. We don't want them, the landlord changing his mind in five years and going, yeah. I want to sell my house. And now we've, the social teams have to find new homes for all these vulnerable you know vulnerable adults basically so yeah. um, is there a um a challenge around the mortgage companies and having these longer leases because i think as i understand it in the mortgage lenders minds it's they <coughs> if anything were to go wrong and they needed to repossess the property uh they couldn't basically if they've got vulnerable people living there yeah, so yeah, that completely depends on the type of properties you're working with. You know, um, the the longer leases, if you if the longer leases work as commercial leases, so right. you sell it as a going business. Oh, okay, if, right. If you were selling it, uh, right, you I know, see. and that then that adds value yeah. because of the enhanced rates. So you'd actually you can get you know 
more than the bricks and mortar are actually worth you right. know but if you're working in like two and three bed houses and then converting right. them your lender's going to say ultimately that's still a residential property that you've messed about with yeah. so then you might have difficulty because that ultimately what are they going to sell it on for it's not seen as a right. it's not seen as a commercial 25 year sort of leasing thing is it is seen as a residential family home that you've changed um the use of this, yeah to do, but yeah i suppose in the same way that you know just a, a regular hmo can get a uh you know we'll get a bricks and mortar valuation but if you've changed it beyond you so it can't easily be changed back to a family house for example it's it's definitely a hmo then uh then obviously you can get either commercial mortgage or mixed of the yeah ex exactly the same sort of principle right, okay. yeah and yeah. You, you mentioned about purpose built then so let's say somebody's got a eight or ten bed house um that is would they and that they want they were interested in getting involved in something like this um would they convert it with the supported housing in mind or does it have to be you know back to brick but what does purpose built mean i suppose yeah purpose built means um subsidy purpose built with subsidy so you work with a registered provider yourself as an investor so you might have some SAS money or your own money your registered provider will pull in a bit of grant money your council will do the revenue funding for the care element and then you you design that scheme to work for long-term right okay needs for, um, for those right. people yeah and what sort of requ requirements are they looking for so that would be um disabled accessible ground floor probably flats or or buildings with lifts and you know um more accessible access um just stuff like that they might need a, an extra flat for a living carer or at least a little office where they can come every day <clears throat> so yeah so we used to in my days as a project manager we used to build something called my place and that was council put in the land um government put in the subsidy so we used to get subsidy and we used to build we used to build like it was six flats with a, a big care flat or a little office like an office flat so communal space and then we used to um get a provider in there to run that supported living that supported living and then some of them we even sold on to other investors as an investment you know as an investment okay. and revenue generating you know business so the supported living tends to be longer term, longer term housing. Yeah, you're thinking much longer term for supported right. living. And that's what the council like to see. It doesn't have to be because we've got a lack of demand. You know, yeah. they would take other stuff, you know, because yeah. the need is yeah. great. Right. So they have to find what they can, find what they can to, to house these um, people. Yeah. And in your opinion, are there any specific areas or niches that are in more demand than others? So the supported housing, which is the trans, not well, I'll call it transient, but it's temporary. Right. Yeah, that that there's more there's more need for that. So that's dealing with your homelessness, your people coming out of prison, your people um, falling into you know um, welfare, street street sleepers. You know, that that group is growing, especially as we go through the COVID you know um shut down we're seeing more people lose their jobs more yeah. people having mental health issues you know more people um you know 
uh yeah just struggling to cope in everyday life so mental health is going to be you know massive massive need and supported living you know you can pick those up into supported living accommodation to get that extra bit of help that they need yeah and any particular types of properties that they would you know they, they would prefer would it be the smaller three bed ones or the bigger units Either, either will work, either yeah. will work. With the, with the supported housing, it's very flexible. It's right. driven by the clients. You know, it's, it's, um, it can be big houses, it can be small houses. The main thing is it's temporary and you're right. providing the support or somebody's doing the support to move them through. Supported living, slightly different. You know, we've gone through this Winterbourne view where people were being abused in these big institutions and they want to bring them back into like a homely feel, you right. know, back into a home, you know, where they might share with two or three other people with learning disabilities or that all this my place that we used to do that had six flats and a, a care flat. So they had their own little flats and somebody would would be there on site to help them, you know. So um, that is um, slightly as, yeah if you say i want to do supported living when you've got 23 beds it's like that and that's not going to work but if you want to do supported housing yeah that might work for a temporary a temporary client group a homeless group a rough sleeping group a drugs and alcohol group i suppose the issue is the supported housing we have to be a bit um careful about what we call safeguarding right. yeah so you wouldn't you know if you were doing that and you're taking your referrals from anywhere you know um you don't want somebody fleeing domestic violence put with like somebody yeah. coming out an ex-offender coming out of prison do yeah. you well yeah. you wouldn't want to put a young lady that's been um you know forced marriage so she's left home at whatever age you know because that is that is um you know obviously a support need project with you know asian men in a community that you yeah. know whatever so you have to be aware of some of these issues and you, you know you have to be mindful of who is going into your properties and where their background is and what their support needs are going forward you know because the idea is to give them a safe secure environment to start re-establishing their lives and getting back on on track really yeah and as the investor how much involvement would be expected because I know investors who are very much hands-on a friend of mine she's got a property I think it's a 14 bed She's there a couple of times a week. She's got somebody on site who, uh, you know, like looks after the place, who's there 24 um, seven. And she's she's very involved, you know, she's looking out for people. She's, you know, having regular meetings. Um, and then like what we talked about before, where you've got the guaranteed rent lease, where the charity just, I suppose, take it, take the property off your hands and then manage it. So, um, you know, what's more common are they is there some involvement expected or is it more likely that you just the charity get on with it yeah it tends to be i mean i do the property and lease it to my company you know because i'm a landlord right, so okay. I, I got a leasing you know i, cover I see both, i cover both yeah both, yes <laughs> both bases both bases. different hat on one day and a different hat on yeah, the other day yeah, both, and quite a lot of landlords are doing that they are covering both bases if they want to be involved you don't have to be but you might want to be you know but the traditional model is that you you lease it to the to the 
charity and they they set it up as a women's refuge or they set it up as a homeless hospital hostel or you know they 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 use it for whatever category of need that they're you know they're helping you know they're working with so it tends to be more hands off for the property landlord i would suggest unless they want to be involved right yeah and what about if, excuse me um if there's a if you've got a, a property and it's in the middle of a obviously a residential area and is there an impact on the neighbors that there can be you know, there can be what, what happens in that scenario if you've got suddenly got sort of drug dealers and we've got um I know that um, somebody who does ex-offenders, you know, would say, I want a place in the suburbs that is away from the main city centre, away from the drug areas, away from, you know, the nightlife and everything that's going to attract them. If I put them in the suburbs where they, they haven't got transport, they haven't necessarily got cars, they're less likely to get sucked back into yeah. that, into that, li- into that life. Yeah. Again, they also might get another, another, um, company that says no we need to be in the center they need to be able to walk to the job center they need to be able to mm-hmm. walk to the shops they need that community they might they might need that city center living so different clients and different charities will be looking for for different things depending on who, okay. who they're looking after and who they're trying to to help you know and who they're trying to help you know so yeah okay. varies greatly depends on on the charity and and who who the who they're helping really who, who yeah. their client groups are uh, and um, the location of the property probably is the most important thing rather than size or shape of the rooms okay. or anything so yeah so whether they're city center and you know in that area where you, the rougher areas or whether they're in the better areas yeah charities are will be looking at that they'll be looking at who the neighbors are what's the demographic you know is that going to cause a problem if we're putting our people in there Do you know no we don't want them there because the neighbors will be causing hassle for us and we won't be able to run our services from there so yeah so they do look at that right I, I, well yeah okay that's uh, interesting that they're looking at it from you know both sides as well um okay so if somebody wanted to get involved with this they've got they've got a property it's ideal for either side the social housing or social living um supported housing or supported living um <coughs> how do they where do they start how do they go about how do they assess different charities um what so, what, so what i teach my mentees to do um i run a bit of a, a teaching sort of training course is i teach them to go and talk to their local councillors their elected leaders if you've got a property you've got a, you've got a ward you'll have a councillor for that ward Go and email them, talk to them, say you're interested in working with them to meet, you know, meet statutory duty, housing needs. You know, can they put you in touch with somebody senior at the council? Then what should happen if they're a good elected leader is they'll forward your email on, CC you in to somebody at the council saying, Joe Bloggs has been in touch, got a property at Wyman Street you're interested in helping us with supported housing can you deal with this query now when you work for a council your bosses are the elected leaders right your ward members so if you have a council inquiry you have 24 hours or you used to when I worked there and I don't think it's changed very much you know so then you get direct access you've got a name and you've got somebody very senior in the council to open that conversation to sort of start saying you know 
we recognize that you have you know x number of thousand people on your waiting list we recognize that you have demand for supported housing you know we're in a position as investors you know to, to support you you know and then sometimes you get invited in for a meeting sometimes they'll come and see your properties sometimes you know they'll, they'll give you a list of providers that they work with you know various things can happen from those conversations but it's always back to the council because that is where they assess need, you know, and then once you've got that, once you've got that relationship started, then you can always build on that. And they might say, oh, that property is not suitable for us, in which case, then you start looking for your own charities or, you know, you might go through the registered provider list, you know, and start accessing themselves. But if they like what you're offering and they want to work with you, it's much, it's got more weight if the council introduce you to your registered right, provider. Because registered providers should still be doing this work, you know. So right. sometimes they license other companies to do it and they work with other providers like subcontracts. So if you can get the introduction from the council, then you'll, 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 you'll get much more, you know, you'll be welcomed a bit more, be less less like working in sticky mud however it is it is like working in sticky mud working <laughs> with the councils nothing moves very fast yeah they're not business people no so then that, that, be does, <laughs> that does at least start the conversation and you know you, you it might not be that deal but then you've got a contact for you might want to do something you know in the future do you know what I mean so yeah and is it possible that let's say I have seen a house it looks ideal for supported living supported housing and I'd like to sign up a lease before I buy or maybe on on completion. Is that something that, that you know, you can work with the council to, for, to say, I'm interested in buying this house, but really only if I can get a long term 25 year lease. Yeah, you, you'd need a, you'd, yeah, you'd need, um, you'd need a registered provider or a support provider on board if that's, you know, what you want to do. So you'd have to take a, you'd have to take a step back really. And um a lot, a lot of my clients, like once they've got their charity or whoever they're working with, whether it's introduction through the council or whether it's an introduction they found themselves, they will then source to order. You know what I mean? So the charity will say, right, this is how we're expanding our business. This is what we're looking for. And then the investors go away and, and source okay. what they're looking for. Because people like um, myself that run supported housing schemes, we're about our clients. We're about our front-facing services. We're about using what limited resources we've got to improve the lives of our, our tenants and our clients. You know, we don't really want to be spending a lot of time looking for property, managing bricks and yeah, mortar, yeah. worrying about servicing the boiler. Do you know what I mean? That's that's yeah. not our core business as a support provider, as a charity, as a CIC, whatever organization it is you know we're not an asset business we're we're a we're a service to the to the council and to our clients you know so if you can find somebody to team up with then you can both grow your businesses you know together really you know if you find two one or two charities that are working in your area and you find out what they need then then that you know that that can work that can work because the charities put a lot of work into you know, getting the elevated rent and sorting all that out with benefits and doing the support plans. And then to have to think about, we've got to find another house, you know, where are we going to go next? Oh my God, we've got to get around the estate agents. We've got to start looking. Do you know what I mean? We've got, we've got too many people. We, we need another property. What are we going to do? They're not proper. They're not, yeah. I say property yeah. people, but they're yeah. not, you know, people yeah. in the sense that are looking for investments, you know, they're about 
revenue and about providing services. So there is definitely a lot of opportunity for landlords almost to be deal sources and financers to yeah. the sector if, if yeah. they want to be, you know, if, they, if that's what they choose to be, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what's the process then? So let's say you find a charity that you think, okay, this is going to work really well with. You both uh, are on the same page, same vision, and the same idea about what type of house you're looking for. You find the house. What happens next in terms of the them taking on the house, uh, the paperwork side of things? Uh, obviously, there's yeah, so, so, it's, so it's up to you, to you and them what they need. Um, you know what what they, they might want you know things like fire doors it's all got to be safe it might need a license depending on who they're dealing with you know they'll expect you to do that they probably have a you know schedule of things like exactly when you do a when you do a refurb you know what, what they need it to provide you know you'll negotiate whether they do furniture or you do furniture all up to negotiations they'll sign either a company let, which is perfectly fine if you're doing it for like a small house that you're converting or a commercial lease if it's a bigger deal, you know, with lots of bedrooms upstairs and then offices and stuff downstairs, you know, that would definitely be a commercial lease type product, you know, and then um, and then they, you know, they take it on from there. So, yeah, so that's really sort of how it works. It's all, it's all negotiable, I suppose, really, if you right. find a, a good charity to work with. Oh, it's interesting to to know that it's negotiable because I think in my head I would have assumed they'd have set criteria, a set amount they can pay, and it's all more uh, res- like restricted, I suppose. But it's interesting. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the same as any other business, you know. Oh, okay. Some days they sometimes they might be able to pay a bit more, you know, if they've got more clients. Sometimes it might be a bit less. You know, sometimes they might be moving into a new area. So then it's, you know, different, isn't it? You know, might okay. be looking for something different. And how yeah, does so it... Yeah, so it is, it is right. negotiable. Yeah, obviously it depends on their bottom line, doesn't yeah, it? But, yeah, And how do the rents compare? Obviously they're a charity, <coughs> but for the investor side, then they need to make sure they're, you know, they've yeah, got so, as well. Yeah, so, um yeah that that's how long is a piece of string you know but supported rents do get an enhance they do get an enhancement yeah they do yeah so you start at lha as your base rate you know and then sort of work up you know work up from there some charities will say look we can only pay local housing allowance because that's what they're entitled to for their housing for their rent so that's all we you know that's really what the client's entitled to so that's we'll pass that straight on to you You know, some councils, because these properties are hard to come by, mm. will use a bit of their surplus to pay the landlord a little bit more for getting it ready and doing the works. And, you know, then you've you've paid a little bit more and they they might lease it a little bit higher rent for the, you know, the five, the five years, really. Right. Because obviously on the rent, the traditional rent to rent guaranteed model, uh, somebody who's doing rent to rent would pay less than the market value for those rooms because it's guaranteed because they're taking on the maintenance so um obviously like you said each charity it's going to be different but would they you still get your guaranteed rent don't you you still yes. get your guaranteed rent yes. you still got to worry about your lettings you've still not got to worry about your voids Absolutely. you know if you've, you've parked your property and it's gonna the money's gonna drop into your bank account every month frees you up to do the other stuff like not worrying about finding tenants vetting tenants getting deposits sorted out you know 
and all the work that goes in with any of us that run HMOs know the work that goes into running them <laughs> keeping them full up you know that they're not you know they're not um they're not a passive investment are they unless you no. hand that over to somebody else to do you know but then you, you obviously pay for that and so if you, if you mean... take that into account you know what what are you prepared to accept you know what well yeah for you, you know yeah absolutely and, and the thing intense... about it is if you don't um I would say if you don't fleece the charity they'll come back to you when they need the next one yeah whereas if you do they'll go well, well you know Michelle's expensive what else can we find in the market that's cheaper yeah, yeah. you know so that you've got to think about that as well. Think about your long-term relationship. And what about the maintenance? Is that is it? Would they take on the maintenance, or is it? You know, the boiler's gone. Obviously, the landlord's responsible. Yeah. For that, so but... with mine, with mine, I do any tenant damage. You know, that's accepted that I would do anything like that. Right. Other than that, they they do the rest. So they do the boiler right. and stuff like that. But if the dogs get kicked in, then yeah. I report it. They repair it. I pay for it because they want to use their own contractors or their own repair people. <coughs> and so, would that yeah. be true on the longer commercial leases as well? Yeah, in the commercial leases, you can get full repairing and insuring. You can get like a shop, like they do everything. You know, you can get um, full repairing mm -hmm. and insuring leases. However, I would say that the sector are kicking back on that a little bit now mm -hmm. and saying we're about our clients you know we don't really yeah. want to be repairing and insuring your building for you yeah, you know yeah. all we want is a building to run our services from you know we can find somewhere else somebody else somewhere cheaper that might insure it and you know help us with that so again negotiable you know it's not always possible to get the best what you want is the best for commercial and insuring repairing yeah. lease if you can get it but you don't you don't always get you don't always get that you know you can't yeah. always get that but yeah must be difficult for you, like to hear you talking obviously you've got both sides in your head uh, okay on the one side you're thinking of the charity and you know saving as much money there as possible and then the other side as an investor thinking well okay I need to make a profit and cover the bills and you know the whole point of investing so it must be difficult to be in the middle of that <laughs> yeah 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 it, it is difficult to wear both hats yeah it is but um I think there's plenty of opportunity for landlords if they're, if they're sensible about what they're trying to achieve and they're, they're genuine in their offers, both to the council and to the charities. You know, the charities need the properties to run their services from, you know, because that's what we do. We're, we're about helping people, you know, so. Okay. But, um, you know, that, that it is not a bottomless pit, is it? You know, yeah. there's only limited resources, you know, to, to, to go around. So, yeah, you can get can get elevated rents yes you, you can and some cities pay a lot more than others um some areas i know birmingham they've got over eleven thousand units of supported accommodation and some landlords are probably getting double what the lha rate is mm. i mean and you wouldn't get that down here because my council wouldn't be very happy about, about <laughs> that they see it as a bit of a supply and demand i guess and what yeah 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 exactly exactly that so it is um it is it is a negotiable it's a moving feast as well you know and um when you're working in supported housing the thing to remember is it's a client's benefit so it is the client that cl that's claiming through the benefit system and that you're getting their money from them to 
provide the support so it's a it's a claimant led whereas any other system through a council it's framework led so it's council's money not the claimant's money right. so yeah so that's different they're funded through different mechanisms supported living and supported housing that they're actually funded they can be funded quite quite differently and does that have an impact on the service or the infrastructure anything yeah supported living tends to be awarded for longer and more secure contracts you know whereas supported housing is client-led so you know as your clients change you know they've got to be they've got a they've got to be the right sort of client to come into your property and as they recover right. you know they move on to, to something else you know they should you need good moving on you need otherwise they get what happens then if they get a job and they're in your supported accommodation they're left paying 200 pound a week in rent you know because they're once ha what happens when you get a job welfare stops doesn't it yeah yeah right okay. so, so that that can be a negative which is why i've got my general needs accommodation and i've got the other stuff that i do so that i've got a good network to if people do recover which is what you want them to do then you can help them move out into the private rented sector quickly because right. you know, otherwise they're stuck they end up saying well i can't take a job because my rent's 200 pound a week and you know and i'd need to earn thirty thousand to be able to pay my rent so i can't take a job and they end up stuck in these supported living accommodation blocks right okay. which is a downside and you know probably a negative to the sector and do you have uh, another house where you can move them on to or you work with other investors in the yeah, area work with other private rented landlords right. yeah work, work work with the council to do the deposit bond scheme you know to make sure that they can get their deposits and stuff like that um work with the council to do guaranteed rents they'll they'll guarantee their rent when they're moving on from my oh, support okay. accommodation <laughs> you know so um if you are leasing or letting to somebody in the sector make sure they've got some of those tools in place to ha to help people you know just it's just, um, you know, good practice, I suppose, really. You don't have to do any of that. Of course you don't, you know, yeah. just sign up, your lease, and off you go. But, you know, you might want to know who's living in your house and who's managing it and there's somebody there occasionally to look after yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, not completely hands-off. Okay. And before, so you mentioned <coughs> about working with New Build, just as a kind of final topic, for anybody who has got uh, a site that they're thinking of and they think, okay, the area is would be perfect for supported living long term uh is that the same process as going to the council and or is there is there another dynamic to that yeah well we need all sorts of new builds don't we i mean yeah anybody who can do a um, new build be you know, bring it on guys we need houses <laughs> we need houses and we need homes yeah if if you've got a potential site um then that that would yeah that would be back to the council again to open that conversation right. um they would send you a list of registered providers what i would say to people is um you know get a lockout or get an option early in the development process or own it you know because you know there is that liable you are liable if it's on the market you know being marketed then everybody yeah. You know, has got access to it haven't they you know, so if you find something that you think suitable you know get a lockout just for you know four weeks while you suss out the council you suss out funding you know you could be you could do a development where the council go yeah we support it the registered provider go we support it and then you've got your land and then you can possibly draw in some move on grant you know there's lots of things that you can do in the in the housing sector you know but um yeah make sure you safeguard your position doing development work 
okay. I would say, whether it's open market, whether it's sale. Yeah. The thing about working, I do teach them, my mentees about working in our sector is that, you know, you haven't got a sales risk. You know, you're agreed what you would sell it for before you even start. So there you've got, and in a lot of our cases, we used to front fund it. So we'd pay stage payments oh, as a build okay. contract. Yeah, really. you've got no borrowing you've got no development costs you know your cost of finance is what what whacks up yeah. development isn't it massively but if you're developing for the social housing sector whether that's general needs or supported then you can de-risk that you can take that risk completely out of the occasion therefore if you're borrowing money from pension funds or from investors to do that development you're absolutely guaranteed that you can pay them back. You haven't got to take any sales risk whatsoever, you know, so. Well, it sounds like there's lots of opportunities out there for investors to, you know, to contribute and, and work with this sector. So yeah, there's, lot, there's, lots, of, there's lots of, there's lots of opportunities to do um, all sorts of things. And because, you know, the housing associations have moved their business model, they, they have called it, you know, turning the tanker around. The councils are left, you know, they've sold all their council housing off. They're left, you know, struggling to house people, to find accommodation, to build the right homes in the right places, which opens up, you know, opportunities for us in all, in all sorts of ways, you know. Right. Is there anything that I haven't asked or anything that we've missed that you'd like to mention before we go? Um, well, thank you very much for having me. And I hope I've, um, you know, open the eyes to some property landlords and investors out there that, you know, this isn't just the world of housing benefit. You know, there are lots of opportunities to work in this sector, which isn't just about all oh, universal credit or two plus two. You know, there is other strategies that you can use. And um, yeah, come and find me, look me up and I'll, and I'll happily um, talk about housing for the rest of the day. with you. <laughs> Great. Like. Where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, so I run um, Easy Rent now. Um, I also run some training and coaching. So you can find me on Facebook or on my LinkedIn page, you know. Um, uh, um, so, yeah, so I do some coaching. I've got lots of people working in, trying to work in the sector now that are finding their feet and learning the terminology and, you know, getting in touch with people and making some really good inroads. So, Fantastic. yeah, exciting times ahead for all of us. It is. Well, we'll put your details in the show notes for people who want to find out more about you. And uh, obviously, thank you very much for your time. It's been really interesting. And uh, I know I've learned quite a few new things. That I, I didn't yeah, know it's, it's not a sector because it, it's not something I've looked into at all. But I've heard a lot about it. And it's one of those things you think, oh, I really need to just find out a bit more about how that works. Um, and I see a lot of questions popping up, you know, in WhatsApp groups and, uh, and Facebook groups and things. Of, okay. <laughs> Who knows yeah. who knows about this who's who's got all the secrets um so you've just you've just uh, opened the eyes i think of a lot of people yeah i also run a bit of a facebook group or if you, if you jump oh, on that, okay. I'll, yeah. I'll, um, I'll answer any any questions that people have about what's that called it is um support i think it's supported housing facebook okay. group yeah we'll yeah. find the link and put yeah. it in the show notes as well yeah so um you can join that and, I'll, and then i answer lots of questions about different um, stuff but, yeah. there's lots of issues around you know the planning status and regulation and hmo licenses and details that yeah. we haven't got time to cover yeah. now but yeah, yeah. jump on that and i will answer those questions well that sounds like a great resource and thank you very much for sharing it with us and thanks for your time again today and uh we'd look forward to seeing your article in the november issue so uh that's great look out for that thank you very much michelle all right take care sarah
right, all right bye. then bye bye for those of you who are not subscribers of the ypn magazine please click the link in the show notes and you'll be able to uh, sign up for your free copy thanks and take care for now see you next time bye